Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. I am Nicole and I am a mother. And I think when I say that, I mean it so much more than like I do mothering, right? I am mother. My essence is that of the mother. And so in this life, I get to mother four sons so far but I also mother myself and my home and my friends and the earth and strangers that I see when we're out. It is of me to be in that space of intimate witnessing and reverent space holding for the process of another and the gentle tending to it. So when I say I'm I'm a mother, it's so much more than I am a mother, just I am mother. It's that from which I come, and it's that to which I move. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything more to say than that. That's why I have you on here today, because from a mile away, I could spot how conscious and intentional and powerful you are. And that's why I'm so honored to have you today. I want this to be you going onto your pedestal and, and sharing <laughs> your heart and and having this to be your opportunity. So I don't want to talk a lot because I, I want to hear you speak. I want to hear the way you live. I want to hear your story and your birth story. I think we're going to start it with your preconception phase that took two years, which I haven't heard this portion of your life story and your Mm -hmm. reflections on that phase of not getting pregnant for two years. Yeah. Well, that really kicked off with the conception of our first daughter. That two years seeking my son began with conceiving a daughter that I had known for so long. She first came to me, I think I was 14, and I knew her name and her face and where she came from, and I so intimately met her in dream work and in visits throughout, I suppose it would have been like six years that I was in really intimate relationship with her before we conceived her, and it was just the highest joy. It was so good. Um, My boy's dad, my husband, had 
dreamt of the same child for years before we met. Like it was a really guiding force in my life was seeking her. And so when she was born at nine weeks gestation, it was, I think I can probably say still like the most painful experience of my life. It was devastating, not just in grief and in longing, but disorienting because I had been orienting towards motherhood, but through her for so long that it was as if orienting towards anything else didn't make sense. And so the journey to conceiving after her was really for almost two years defined by seeking her and creating another opportunity for her to come to me. And in hindsight, that was why that wasn't coming to place. That's why that was, she wasn't meant to be born in a body and live an entire human life beside me. Her work was this clarifying agent that opened me and cracked me and gave me the opportunity to become a woman who could seek motherhood, right? I was in seeking her, was redirected towards myself. And once I was hitting those limits, then I was able to turn towards motherhood and what that looks like. So it was dark and it was heavy. And I can safely say it was the only time in my life that I was just desperate and in despair. Like just honestly kind of hated living what was happening and wanted to live a different life and was not satisfied with anything else. And so months and months of sitting with that and then months and months of untangling that, there was a day where I I went out to make tea. I was bleeding. I went out to make tea and gathered a bunch of herbs from that grew around my house and brought them inside. And when I did, there was this tiny the smallest baby grasshopper I've ever seen, (laughs) like this tiny, tiny, tiny little bug. And it jumped up on my hand. And then it jumped from the teapot that it was on onto my womb and sat there and just beat and flexed its legs and like the pulse of a heartbeat. And I was awash with the sensation of who I now know to be my firstborn and was just like, brought immediately was like oh I know him I know him and I love him and oh my god I want him I am immediately so ready for him I want that child that's who I'm seeking that's who I'm available to and then the grasshopper like disappeared into the ether or my house however you want to look at it (laughs) I sat down and I had a journal that I had been writing to my daughter in for years. And I sat down with my tea and for the first time I wrote to my son. And I told him I know you and I see you and I'm ready for you and I love you and I will be I will be on my knees waiting for you until you are ready to come but I am so ready. And I want you so bad. And we conceived him that cycle, like two weeks later. And he's here, and he's brilliant, and he is all the things that I felt that day. (laughs) 
And he's six and a half now? He's six and a half now, yeah. Wow. How do you feel? Do you feel like that preconception phase was one of the most important pieces carving you into the mother? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was the my initiation into motherhood. You know, when you talk about the transition from maiden to mother, people look at pregnancy or even more so birth as the transition. And the way I see it, having gone through my experience, is you begin to form yourself into the mother the moment you decide to seek a baby. And so your preconception phase, that is sometimes an extended initiation into mother. But the moment you orient towards them, you think of them, you make decisions with them in mind, you care for your body with them in mind, you envision making space for them next year when they come through, whatever that looks like, the moment they start to be a part of you, physically or not, that is the process to becoming mother. And so hers was this really fiery and like deep thrusting me into the ethers of this work. And then I had that longer, not incredibly long, but slightly extended time of metabolizing that experience. And it was work I had to do. It was work I had to do to become mother and to become a woman who could receive my son. There's so many pieces of him that I see she was looking out for. She didn't just come for me. She didn't just come for my marriage. She came for my sons. She came for those boys that are her brother, but brothers by blood. She came for them to guide their mother toward them. And so they know her and love her and talk about her and sometimes wish that she was here, but also are so grateful that she came and we talk about that and, and honor her in all those ways because my motherhood would not be what it is without her had she not begun the process. Yeah, and um, a quote you messaged me about my, my very long pre- preconception phase I'm in is that our baby souls are curating the environment they need. Mm-hmm. You said that to me and those words, oh, it's, it's my truth. It's what mm-hmm. I know. And that's what your daughter did. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's what every baby does. And I think it's yeah. really easy to see once you have the child in hindsight, it's easy to go back and see all the ways that their specific medicine had been woven into your life and the ways that they had been orchestrating from the ether before they arrived to the physical world. Um, But when you have a loss and there is no child or you're just still in that space of being crafted, um, it's kind of something you only see in hindsight. And you can trust it. You can choose to have faith in it. You can soften into it and allow yourself to be malleable. Um, But it's not going to be in some ways it's not going to be until you know that child and you know that baby where you're you look back and you're like oh my gosh that part of that that I really hated that was you and now I can say thank you <laughs> uh, okay so we have four births to cover in this episode so we're gonna try 
to do, you're going to try to do some not synopsis <laughs> mm-hmm. in the best way you can um, with the awareness that birth is a reflection of who that mother is in that moment in time, mm-hmm. who she is. Just like the way you mother right now is who you are. Mm-hmm. So your birth six and a half years ago is a reflection on who you were. And I love that type of hindsight and storytelling. So you could kick it off wherever you want. Okay. So my oldest son, Owen, um, he's a daughter of a home birth midwife. I've attended, I started attending births when I was like 13. Like I know, I knew I was going to birth at home. I really trusted birth. I really trusted myself. I really trusted my baby. There was never really a point where I doubted my own capability because I had watched, I I had the appropriate experience of being a young girl and watching hundreds of women in my community birth successfully. Um, And so I did have a home birth midwife and I loved her and I still love her. She was, you know, the word midwife means with women. And yet there are a lot of ways that modern day midwifery is not with women as much as it is with state or with legislation or with power or with agency. And she is one of the few midwives I've ever known that just was really wholly with women. And I felt completely autonomous and yet partnered with her. It was a sovereign partnership. So Owen's birth began after weeks of just delicious waiting. I never hit a point where I didn't want to be pregnant, but I did hit that point where we were up until like two in the morning every single night because it was like Christmas. We were just so excited. You couldn't sleep for weeks. (laughs) And we would just sit and hang, me and my husband would just sit and hang out and I would eat so many snacks and drink tea and just be so excited together that we were going to have a baby soon. And so on one of those nights, as I like settled in to eat more dates and sun butter, or whatever I was like fixated on at the time, um, I noticed I just, my back really hurt, like a really intense period cramp right along my back. And I was like, that's such a weird sensation. And it, then it stopped. And then it immediately came back on like a minute and a half later. And I was like, that's odd. I wonder, because you've never, when you've never felt a contraction before, you've never felt a contraction before, right? And so um, it, you know, cycled maybe two, three times. And I was like, oh, that has to be it. Like, there's no way that's not it. Because why else would I be having sensation rhythmically at 41 weeks pregnant? <laughs> so that's got to be what that is. Um, so I ate a snack and drank some water and went to sleep. Um, I was like, if I'm going to be doing this, it's nighttime. I'm going to go sleep as long as I can. So I slept for several hours and then got woken up and sensation got bigger. And my birth, you know, a lot of people have like an early labor period where you have waves coming every so often or every 10, 15 minutes or, you know, there's kind of like a gentle... Um, tiptoeing into it and all of my births (laughs) 
for some reason have started with my waves come three minutes apart and they last 90 seconds and we're just like in it. We're just doing it. And so by like early morning, I would have gotten out of bed and was moving through them and labored that way for a full 24 hours. By the following morning, was starting to feel a little like, is there something I'm missing? Like, is there a piece about this that I don't have context or understanding for yet that I'm not like integrating properly? Is there something that I'm missing? Not because I don't feel like this is okay, it's fine, but I'm starting to sense that there's something more in addition to this. And I was also really clearly having the sensation that as my body was working baby down, there was a piece of my body that was holding baby up, like structurally. I felt like I was working against a wall. It wasn't anywhere near pushing, but there was, you know, there is a lot of downward sensation. There's a lot of pressure downwards. And I was feeling at the same time a counterforce. And I was just like, I have no idea what that would be. So I ended up having my midwife come over. It had just been me and my husband this whole time. And she had no problems. She was like, you know, you look fine. You look like you're doing good. You're not distraught. So you can keep doing whatever you want to do. Um, I don't even think we bothered listening to baby because I knew he was fine. Um, <clears throat> my mother had come into town and I have a really, I had a really challenging relationship with my mother. And I wasn't sure if I was going to have her there. And then, I, you know, whatever. I ended up saying that she could bring us some food and stop by for a minute at least. So she went and did that and came over and gave me some counter pressure and touch. And there's this space. It's really interesting in pregnancy and birth. Regardless of your relationship with your mother, there is an innate desire to be mothered as you become one. And so despite all the ways that my mind would have said I don't want my mother there, there was a piece of me that was like, I don't want my mom. Like, yeah, she can come. It'll be fine. I want my mom. And in hindsight, that was really derailing. Um, so she came in, and she's a midwife, and she – I don't fault her for this at all. And so I speak really gently when I speak of it. But she pathologized my birth. She immediately found issue. She, when I, you know, was in a place of being like, what do I do? What else do I do? That wasn't despair. That was just me, like, inquisitive and curious and asking my mother, how am I going to become a mother today, mama? Um, but that really quickly derailed where she was like, you're exhausted. Your baby's been working, too. You need to consider him. He's just as tired as you are. You need to go to the hospital. And you need to get Pitocin and you need to get an epidural and you need to, we need to go. And I remember in that moment just being like, what? Like, it didn't even occur to me that that was one of the potential answers. Like, because that was so not the question I was asking. And yet at the time, I couldn't verbalize that. And I instead was like, oh, am I wrong? Okay. And it was the part of you need to think about your baby. He's tired too. 
where I was like, oh, I am exhausted and I'm fine to keep going, but is he fine to keep going? Am I doing this to him? Am I so attached to my concept of home birth and trusting birth that I'm willing to betray the needs that my baby is communicating to me that he wants to be done? And so we pretty quickly pivoted and ended up at a hospital and I was terrified. And it was definitely that moment that I like popped out of the birth process and became pretty disembodied. Um, it was a really painful decision to make, I think because I didn't feel good making it, you know? It wasn't, it not only wasn't what I wanted, it didn't feel correct, it didn't feel necessary. And I wasn't able to conceptualize that or verbalize that because the birthing woman is in her body, not her brain. So the people at the hospital were objectively lovely and <laughs> kind and thoughtful and caring and... Um, considerate and very concerned about consent and there was no judgment for having had a home birth like I was I was really well received um and my nurse in particular was a really wonderful person um but we didn't end up in a place where it was the same language as my mother saying we should go to the hospital but now it's the resident OB talking about c-section and just you know the typical well, his heart rate is this, but like it's supposed to be that. So I don't know why anyone was having a problem. And um, and then the additional, you've loved your nurse and she's been really important to you. Well, her shift ends in 45 minutes. And because I had been removed from my own place of agency and kind of disembodied at that point, I was really leaning on other people. And so it was essentially like, listen, you're going to have a C-section anyway. Wouldn't you like to do it now with all these people rather than meeting new people? And it wow. wasn't said so directly, but that was the message I received. And I was like, yeah, okay. If that's what's happening anyway, okay. And then it was framed as this like really generous gift that everyone on my team decided to stay an hour late for work to help me rather than go home. And in the moment, I was like, thank you for not abandoning me the way that I can feel I'm abandoning myself. Wow. So he was born, and I remember watching him be pulled up and, like, needing it to click, right? Like, I, I knew that I was not having the physiological experience of bringing my baby to my chest. And so I needed to orchestrate that. What I think was like my innate desire there. And so I remember watching him and just being like, that's your baby. That's my baby. That's Owen. That's my baby. And that's Owen. And he's coming to me and I birthed him that like just to myself. Um, and they plopped him on me as they finished up and they kept trying to force him to latch and he just didn't care. And I didn't care. And um, he just sat there with his head just looking at me. Just eye contact from six inches away for 45 minutes while they finished. And they took us back to the room. And the immediate, the healing of his birth began immediately. The moment that I put him to my breast and he latched effortlessly, comfortably. He was immediately gulping 
and sated and I felt satisfied and safe. And it was the sensation of like, well, that was fucked, frankly. Like that was, I'm gonna have to think about that later, but look how we're okay. And look how my baby is okay. And look how my body functions for him. Immediately that thread that I think so many women get caught with of feeling like their body had failed them, that was immediately rewoven and healed in seeing how my body knew how to hold him, knew how to nurse him, knew how to nourish him, and feeling so at home in that space with him. So in hindsight, I can look at Owen's birth and see how much he, how long that took and how much he held. His birth was like 49 hours, I think, overall. And obviously would have been longer if we hadn't have decided on surgery. And there were so many invitations for me to be initiated as the matriarch. But I was still energetically, intrinsically defaulting to my mother as the matriarch. And it's a really clear representation of where my relationship with her was at the time. And also this innate process that every woman goes through where you're not a girl, but you are a maiden. And that's different than being a matriarch. And ideally we would exist in a culture where your mother and your aunties and your grandmothers know that this is happening and they don't try to hold on to their place and they hand it to you in reverence. And in those places where you look to them and you say, I don't know what to do, what do I do? They know this place, they were held, they were revered, they were integrated, they were initiated. And they look at you and they refuse to pick up that power from you and they only reflect it back. They know that you're going through the chrysalis. They don't desire to take this from you. And so they just sit and witness as you become the matriarch and they welcome you to be one of them. Whereas we exist in a culture now, this modern structure where you often have, I mean, this goes along with the story of like people hating their mother-in-laws. Why? Because the mother-in-law is trying to function as the matriarch of a home that is not hers. We have mothers and grandmothers and mother-in-laws that want to be not a matriarch in the family constellation, but the matriarch. And that's not the structure that actually works for women. That is more reminiscent of like a masculine or patriarchal hierarchy. And that's actually not the social structure that women are coded for. And I know my mother didn't receive that and my grandmother didn't receive that and her mother didn't receive that. And so there's no longer resentment or bitterness or blame for how my mother arrived to me in birth. But there is very much the reflection of she could not arrive to me any different. I did not know how to arrive to myself any differently. And it was this painful process to learn that. And it took me a couple months of integrating and getting to set boundaries for him and his wellness in new ways and therefore in myself in new ways before I arrived to a place where I was like, oh, I have to be the mother, his mother. I have to act as my mother. I need to mother my life and I need to act as the matriarch. I need to be firm and boundaried and secure. And there isn't any looking to anyone else to do this. 
And ideally, that would have happened in birth. But his process, I wasn't ready for that. And no one around me was ready either. I had to kind of be broken down and untangled and undone before I figured out how to do it for myself. And then it was my responsibility to carry that torch and light that throughout my life for everyone else around me to respond to. They weren't going to just hand it to me. I had to claim it. But was it your first postpartum that you had the most blissful, delicious postpartum, even though that was not a birth? How did you curate that level of postpartum? Like you had the awareness. How did how did that pan out? Because there's this quote from uh, that episode on healing birth, and I've said it to other people. In your, fo- in your first postpartum, you said your husband something along the lines of, I didn't know it would feel this good. I am so sorry. You never get to know what this feels like. This is amazing. I didn't know this level of pleasure could be attainable. That's your first postpartum. That was Owen's birth. So that really, that birth experience immediately translated into postpartum bliss and so often birth trauma gets blamed for postpartum experience as i see it your postpartum is the immediate invitation to integrate and reclaim your birth medicine if you're not set up postpartum birth trauma will compound that will exacerbate that But if you are, it's the softness and the bliss and the joy and the space and the security and the felt sense of safety and satisfaction in your body that lets you immediately begin integrating your birth trauma so that it becomes birth wisdom. And that was my experience with Owen, that I was fed and I was rested and I was warm and I was adored and I was safe and my baby was there and he was all of those things. And... I didn't immediately begin examining my birth even, but somatically and energetically, my body began to digest and metabolize it in a way that it became integrated. The way you crafted that postpartum though, is that just because that's who you were? Or did you see women from the way you were raised, you were a midwife's daughter? Did you know what is possible in postpartum from seeing from your past? No, I definitely didn't. Okay. I definitely didn't. Um, The extent of like postpartum, bringing a woman dinner was something that would have been modeled for me. Um, But the extent of rest would be like, try to stay in bed for a couple days. Right? Or like stay on the couch for a week. Like it was not, it was not enough. It was crumbs in comparison to what's possible. But for me, prenatally, there was just this inherent knowing that, like, if there's physiological birth, there's physiological postpartum. In my body, if there's a cascade of hormones and this dance and matrix of processes and chemicals that orchestrate my body to give me birth, would it just stop? Like, there's no way. There's no way that my body, I can trust my body to deliver me my baby, but then it abandoned me at that moment. And then I have to just like sit in the muck 
for however many months until I like figure my stuff out. There's no way. And so the hormones coming out of birth and the hormones that are orchestrating breastfeeding and the hormones that are orchestrating a secure attachment, surely those things must work in my favor. And so if I trust that birth works as long as no one messes with it, wouldn't postpartum work as long as no one messes with it? And how is it that we're messing with postpartum? I refuse to do those things. I'm going to give my body the best opportunity that I can to unfold as it desires to. And I'm going to trust that that will be my pathway to the highest possible good for me with this child at this time in my life. And that's how it went. (laughs) And I didn't curate it as much as I did subsequent postpartums even. Mm. But it was the invitation I needed. It absolutely was adequate for my body to do its work and to unfold and, and deliver me towards bliss. Yeah, I want to hear about how you curated the the next three postpartums now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, Yeah, let's hear about the second son. Yeah, so that is Milo. Milo was my fourth pregnancy. I had a sovereign loss after Owen. Um, and baby just was not ready to come. And it actually was so healing to have a completely sovereign miscarriage after Owen's birth. I was seven months postpartum. I had begun to really untangle and like cerebrally examine my birth with Owen, not just sit with it. Um, And so to have that experience of being, it was the first time Owen was away from me. Went to the grocery store with his dad at like eight, nine months. It was the first time I'd ever left him. And I was home and I was bleeding and I was communing with this baby. And then I just knew what to do and I knew where to move and I knew where to go. And I had the fetal ejection reflex and I caught my baby in my hands. And it was so healing to be like, look, my body can do this. I suspected that my body could have done Owen's birth and I was just messed with. But now I absolutely know. Um, wow. And so conceiving, I also immediately knew that I was going to need to finish out the 40-week process with that baby before conceiving again. Um, and I did. I bled on what would have been their 40-week mark, and we conceived Milo that cycle. <laughs> so then Milo was my first completely autonomous pregnancy, and there was a lot of untangling in the first half of this pregnancy and a lot of those last threads of distrust or fear coming up and getting to work with them. Um, and then his birth was so similar to Owen's. <laughs> so similar. Um, started the same way. Started at the exact same time of day. Both of them started at 10, 15 p.m. And labored again for two full days. And at like 39 hours or something, I had my best friend, I had called her and was like, what are you doing today? And she was like, oh, we're doing this and this and this and this. They had like a huge day plan. I was like, okay, um, I need you to cancel all of it. And I need you to come get on because I need to like focus on becoming this baby's mother. And I'm still caught on just being his. And I need you to mother him for me while I do this work. And she was like, done. I'll be there in an hour. She lived like 45 minutes away, Um, which is the first time Owen had gone with anyone other than daddy. And it was a big thing and letting myself be held and reorienting towards baby. 
So we just kept working at home and it was so pleasurable and enjoyable. Um, and yet also carried such a similar pattern to Owen's birth that there was definitely threads of doubt emerging of like, oh no, was that all necessary? Can my body actually not do it? Was there a thing structurally that, cause I'm still feeling that thing working against me just like I did in Owen's. And I even, my midwife that I had loved, she she retired and closed her practice the day I went into labor with Milo. April 1st. And yet I called her the morning after, the day of her first day of retirement, and was like, hi, I'm sorry. I'm freaking out. Um, <laughs> like, level with me. Is there literally any way that there's like a broken piece of my body that is stopping babies from exiting me? Because it's starting to feel like that's a possibility, but I know myself enough to know that I normally wouldn't think that that's possible. So, like, where am I at? And she was like, I've never seen any reason to not trust your body. I think you're maybe having a hard time because you're alone and women aren't meant to do all things alone. And I'm glad that I'm here for you. And I think you're probably fine. And I got off the phone and was like, okay, this is going to be fine. And, you know, did it for several hours more and... And then got to a point where it just, I kept feeling that piece working against me. And I was like, it's not correct. Whatever that is, is not correct. And I don't know how to move around it. And I don't know how to move through it. And it's like a rock in a hard place. And neither will budge. My baby will not stop coming. And my body will not let them out. And I don't know what I need. So I started calling hospitals to transport and I didn't want to go to the one where I birthed Owen because that felt like failure. And I called every other hospital in the city and they sucked. <laughs> and they said, it's not even legal, but they said things like, if you show up on our doors, we'll only serve you if you have a C-section, if you agree right now. Which they aren't even allowed to do, but like it was scary. And I knew in the moment they weren't allowed to do it, but I was like, I don't want to go fight you guys. I want to just have a baby. I don't want to. I'm was, not gonna force my way in your door. Was your intention with calling hospitals um, in your head? Were you thinking C-section, or you, or were you thinking epidural? What were you thinking? I was thinking I am lacking a resource here at home in some way. My body needs something. My like I'm needing something, and I've done all the things that I have at my house. So I don't know what happens next but I need to go do something different. Um, there's a hospital that like, you know, was vaguely threatening because I was also unassisted. That's even worse if we're going to say that than being a home birth transfer. When you transfer with a home birth midwife, she calls the head, she sends your records, she butters them up. So they're really nice to you when you walk through the door. Like I've done that for other women. <laughs> There's a process that's very different than being like, hi, I am two and a half days into labor and I have nothing for you. No one has looked at my baby. I have no records. I have no nothing. Because the way that that is often interpreted is you have no reason to trust me. You have no reason to trust my baby. You have no reason to trust my body because you don't have any numbers telling you you can. That's terrifying. 
for a doctor. So I ended up calling the hospital where I birthed Owen, and they were the only one where she was confused but kind. They were the only one that said my toddler could stay with me overnight. Everyone else said daddy and toddler would have to leave. That was an absolute no for me. Like, I would have just stayed home. <laughs> I would have just figured it out. Um, so we ended up going. And, you know, there was on the phone, they were like, well, if you agree to an ultrasound and an IV. And I was like, I don't, but I'll see you in 30 minutes. Like, you can do a Heplock, but I don't want to be hooked up to anything. And I'm not going to do an ultrasound. And I'm not going to, you know. And so we got there and it was really interesting to be back in that place and to reclaim the process. I walked in and was sovereign. I engaged with medical care without compromising my sovereignty. At no point was I coerced in anything that I didn't want. At no point did I feel pressured or threatened. And it wasn't even necessarily for lack of trying. You know, if anyone's listened to the like longer versions of my stories on healing birth, like there was a lot of second guessing me. There was a lot of being like, well, can we please mess with you a little bit, please? Because it would make us feel so much better. Um, but I didn't walk in there for a fight either. I knew exactly what I needed. I knew exactly what I wanted. And it wasn't up for debate. And so I didn't feel like I was in conflict with anyone either. I just felt solid. There was something about being there. I did get an epidural that slipped like 15 minutes later, like truly slipped. And I know some people are like, oh, my epidural failed. But like it was just halfway. I could like I was walking around the room. I was like completely fine. There was literally no numbness or anything at all. They ended up just turning it off completely because it wasn't in place correctly. Which I remember thinking as the student was placing it, I didn't have any reason to, but I remember thinking, you're screwing this up. I can just tell you're getting this wrong somehow and this isn't going to work. And it's like made peace with that. I was like, okay. But that little break of softness where my body let go because I couldn't feel the intensity and therefore my physiology surrendered was all I needed. And the rest of Milo's birth was pure pleasure. No pain. Absolutely sensation, absolutely intensity, but just felt so good. And birthing him was so euphoric and so wonderful. Um, his dad missed it. I knew that was going to happen the whole time. I think I was like six weeks pregnant and was like, do you care if you're there? He was like, why wouldn't I be there? And I said, I just, I just think you're not. And so I just want to know if that's a problem for you so we can avoid it because I don't think you're there. He wasn't. He was like taking Owen to get a snack or something <laughs> and just missed the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> and so Milo, and it's so representative of Milo. Milo's a special person. Anyone who knows him, he's a honey bear. He is squishy and mushy. He feels like roses and honey and sunshine and forest floor. He is so good. And his birth was very much reclaiming 
softness in strength. I can be strong and soft at the same time. I can be sovereign and supported. I can hold big things without becoming hard myself. And it was absolutely the medicine that I needed for the season of motherhood that followed. Our house was incredibly moldy. We didn't know it. My oldest son was very, very, very sick. And for the first, I think we moved when Milo was like five months old. But for those five months, I like if I slept four hours broken up in a night, that was a good night. It was usually more like two or three in like 20 minute chunks for like four months. I was out of my mind. I couldn't carry a conversation. I couldn't drive. It impacted my eyesight, my memory. Like I was out of my mind. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to hold. All of my births were easier than that. And yet, I remember it also as the like, some of the sweetest days I've ever lived. I was so soft. I was so surrendered. I was so sweet while holding the biggest I could possibly hold. So then Noah is my third boy. And we conceived him just like six months after we left our house and kind of reworked. Um, We conceived him February 2020, I think it was. So we ended up, we were in Seattle. And when March rolled around and odd things started happening in the world, we decided to leave. So we didn't want to be in Seattle for whatever was going to happen. I was like, this isn't the community I want to be in if there's a place where we need community. And if people are going to like snap at each other in grocery stores, <laughs> it's going to be the worst here. I don't <laughs> want to do that. Um, so his pregnancy was so much change. We, in four days, three days maybe, packed up our entire life, sold all our belongings, said goodbye to our closest friends, bought a trailer and moved to Texas. We were in Texas for like five or six months and then moved up to Idaho where my family lived. I hadn't talked to them since I birthed Owen. So for three years, I had no relationship with them and then was now staying in their house nine months pregnant while we tried to find an apartment. Like it was so wild and so intense. That same month, my husband told me he wanted a divorce, which I was really blindsided by. Like it was just nuts. Every bit of stability that I thought I had dissolved. My marriage, my community, my home, everything. Everything that I thought was holding me up and I thought I was drawing strength from was gone. And yet I was then tasked with like, how are you going to hold it without becoming brittle still? And it was during Milo's or Noah's pregnancy that I also began to unwind like, okay, what was that thing that I felt holding me back every time? I believe now it's a literal physical thing in my body. What the hell is that? Because I'm done with working (laughs) with that piece. I'm not doing another birth where that's like fighting me the whole time. And it was Milo's failed epidural that I was like, so once I softened, it was safe and fine. And I just can't soften. 
I couldn't let myself, my brain and my system and my nervous system wouldn't let myself soften, but my body is mechanically capable of softening. So what does it look like to hold that hard, spiky, jagged piece of myself, of my memory, of my lineage? What does it look like to get soft enough that it melts? How could I possibly do that work? And so I, for the last like two months of his pregnancy, just practiced softening, even as all these really wild things were happening, just softer, 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 softer. I'm going to be so soft. I'm going to be basically formless and therefore nothing can like push me or hit me or harm me because I am water. And that's that. And so his birth, started very differently. It started first thing in the morning, but with all the same sensations, all the same back pain. I've never had, until Noah's birth, I had never had a single contraction outside of my back. No frontal sensation, no cervical sensation, nothing. And so for him, I just immediately devoted to softening and labored most of the day by myself. Daddy took the boys out to the park twice, went to the grocery store. Like, they were gone a lot. And it was just training ground of how soft can I hold myself to be. I remember even things like if in between contractions I had, like, a passing thought of irritation at Daddy for not helping the toddler or for the toddler for hitting the other toddler or whatever, if I had even a passing thought of anything less than gratitude, my next contraction sucked. Like I was so on top of it unless I let myself slip in integrity. And then my body responded out of integrity and it was gruelingly painful. And it would be, and so I'd be like, okay, not doing that. And just like gratitude open soft for the 90 seconds while I waited for another one. And then that one, I would be fine and I would be on top of it. If you had a thought of, um, of what if my body can't do it or worry or fear, would it be the same type of sensation as the irritation of witnessing your husband or child have an interaction? I didn't have any of the worry or fear with Noah okay. the same way. Okay. And I think probably because I could so clearly feel the difference. I could feel what softening meant. And each time that came, it was the affirmation of like, okay, exactly what I thought was happening the last two births was. I wasn't crazy for thinking there's a thing in my body that's too tight and too hard. Um, like this is, this is the path. This is the work. And it's hard to hold it, but it is my work. And I'm meant for it and I'm fine. I also, you know, towards the end of the day and towards the end of my labor, Um, Yeah, it was grueling and I was just being absolutely decimated and being soft was not enough to feel comfortable and yet going anywhere else would have meant going to the hospital where I had been born and I would have rather died than birth a baby in the hospital where I was born. Like it was just not, it was so not an option. It was so not an option And in hindsight, that was why we ended up in Idaho. Like leaving Texas seemed like a weird decision. I still want to go back to Texas. I still don't know why we left there other than Noah called us to be born there. 
And so much of that was reclaiming my own birth story. My birth story was a two-day labor that ended in a C-section of a scared little girl who didn't know how to become the mother. So I birthed a mile away from that place on that land where I was born, and I birthed in sovereignty, and I birthed in power, and I birthed in pleasure and trust. And that became the immediate rewriting of my most deep-seated stories of worth and belonging and safety all of which were up for rewrite in my life with my community and my marriage and my family dissolved or out of reach i needed to go to the deepest darkest scariest corners of are you safe are you worthy is anyone even there for you and are you worth them showing up and i remember having those conscious thoughts in labor i remember being like my biggest fear is that I'm not safe because no one loves me enough to help me. And like my, and that comes from this, like it was such incredibly intense body processing, but it was like purging at the same time. And I've said before that with Noah's birth, you know, our fascia holds story. It holds trauma quite literally. And it's not some woo woo shit to say that it quite literally will clench and hold in a pattern an intention as a result of life experience. And it's something really powerful for that to be touched. Fascia softens with touch. I cannot touch the inside of my womb. Only my baby can touch the inside of my womb. And so Noah's coming was moving and touching all of these places that have never been touched and all of these stories that I didn't want to look at and all of this pain that would be freed and transmuted and become wisdom over just hurt. But he had to do it and I had to let him. And I wanted to be saved and I wanted to escape and I wanted to run from it. <laughs> but I also trusted it. And there was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to go. There was just allowing myself the experience of holy decimation. And the moment he was born was such relief and was so freeing and so open. And I think I can say confidently, my body had my body. While my like heart never felt as good as after I built birth Owen, my body has never felt better than in the 24 hours after birthing Noah. I felt strong. I felt intact. All those feelings of like open or mushy or broken or like needing to be like picked up that is common to feel and even fine to feel postpartum. I had none of that with him. I just felt so secure and so stable, and so strong, and so safe, and so soft. And thus began this two-year process of continuing to work with those stories as I untangled myself and I untangled my collapsing marriage and what does it look like to be soft but sovereign? What does it look like to be surrendered but not boundless? What does it look like to care for yourself while still being, you know, be like in control of holding yourself without trying to control all of life? And 
And I don't, I like, there's just no way I could have gone through <laughs> that season of my life had I not had Noah's birth be exactly what it was. Wow. I can't believe you birthed a mile from the hospital that mm-hmm. you're born at. Yeah. It was intense. Wow. So your third birth was the birth, the the home birth, the sovereign birth that you always wanted from the beginning, but there was just, mm-hmm. it was a journey to get there. There was other work to untangle <laughs> first. Was. Yeah. There was like layers that I had to unearth and fully process and fully integrate before I could go deeper. So then from your first to your second to your third postpartum, what did you Mm -hmm. shift within there? With my second, I had a lot more support for my older son because he was a part of life. Um, And I think I had probably like a more narrow circle of support, but it went deeper. So I had less people coming to the house, but it was, you know, it was my best friend who had just birthed her second son nine months ago and was like, here's dinner, but here's breakfast. That's the hard part is breakfast. So here's breakfast for tomorrow. She said, you have all day to figure out dinner, but you got like 20 minutes to figure out breakfast before all three of you are crying. So here's French toast. And... She, you know, sat down and just immediately started folding my laundry and was like, tell me a story. I want to know all about him. And just cried as I told her my birth story. And other friends would be, you know, dinner, but also tons of snacks for Owen and jerky and fruit and be like, when you're trapped in bed and you're nursing and all of a sudden he's hungry, you're going to have this in this basket that I'm putting by your bed to throw to your toddler to keep him satisfied until you can get up. Like, it was the depth of being held that was so good. And my last postpartum was still the hardest. Um, the grief of the grief of the rupture between me and my oldest was tackled me. Was so unexpected. Was so much bigger than I anticipated. Was so painful. Um, there was so much separation just practically like daddy and owen kept with our typical rhythm which was to like leave the house most of the day every day and so i was safe and secure and warm and fed and supported in bed and had women come over but i didn't have my baby and it felt like i was milo's mom but in this like new family unit with milo rather than me and milo being integrated into our existing family unit there was a rupture in the family And it did not feel good. So for Noah's postpartum, that was by far the least supported. We didn't have anyone come to the house at any point. And it was all on my husband who wanted to divorce me. (laughs) And it was tender. um, But my guiding force then was like, I am going to integrate this baby into our existing family unit. And that's going to be me pulling him into it, but also the family unit pulling towards him. 
I will not suffer the rupture that I experienced last time because that pain sucked. And it wasn't necessary. And so that looked like pulling my toddlers into bed with me. We're going to watch Planet Earth together. We're going to read books. I'm going to bring all of your toys into the bedroom so that you're just playing beside me. Um, That was much more cohesive. And I didn't experience that sensation of rupture or loss or grief regarding Noah or regarding Owen or Milo that time. That did feel really whole and integrated. I'm so excited to hear Liam's story. (laughs) So Liam was conceived uh, the month that we firmly, finally, after like two years of dancing around it, decided we would separate. The month that I decided to stop fighting it and to let it go. Um. It wasn't, I can't say, I can't say he was planned or unplanned. I didn't seek him the way I had all three of the other babies. Every other baby, I have been like, I'm going to get pregnant tomorrow. I've decided just now. And then I would do that. After Owen, (laughs) I could have a baby whenever I wanted. (laughs) Once I got him down. Um, And with Liam, it obviously wasn't really the plan, but there was this moment in the myths of when you can create a child where I was like, oh my God, there's another baby. And I could say yes. I can say no, but I can also say yes. And I was like, no, I want that baby. I can feel him. I like him. I want that baby. I'm saying yes to the baby. And then I remember pausing and being like, do I have to ask Aaron? Like right now and let him know? And then I was like, no. I don't. He's not going to care. And I want this baby. And then I kind of forgot about it. We were, we had left Idaho. We were back home in Seattle visiting friends for a handful of weeks. We conceived him on her land. We like went to Portland to visit other friends and we're driving down to Arizona. And it was when we got here that I was like, I feel like I'm pregnant. And I was like, that'd be weird. And then as soon as I, like, I think I even said out loud to myself, well, that would be weird. And I was like, oh, oh, no, it wouldn't. Because there was that day I said yes to having a baby. So that would actually make perfect sense if a baby was here. Hold on. Um, So Liam's pregnancy was challenging in ways that nothing ever had been before. But his pregnancy was really comfortable. All of my pregnancies are really easy. I don't get sick. I don't get particularly tired. I just feel really good. I feel most alive. I feel most myself. I feel most stable. Um, I did have some vomiting in the beginning of my pregnancy, but it was only when I saw his dad. <laughs> so we were separating, and I like couldn't, could not digest sharing space with his father. So when we moved and we got into two, you know, I have my house now and he has an apartment in the backyard. Once we had separate spaces, all the vomiting totally stopped. And it just, I would feel nauseated when he came over (laughs) and I'd feel fine when he left until I processed that a little bit. So his birth was, I had no vision for I had no plans for. I had no desires or goals going into. 
Um, and the three boys before, I think you could say I did, right? Like I had not a vision and not an expectation, but I had an intention. And with Liam, I didn't really have any intention except for to end up with a baby in my house. And I didn't know if Aaron was going to be there. I didn't know if I was going to call a woman to be with me. I didn't know if I was going to have the boys there. My only, like, what I would like is I was like, I would like to just be by, my, like, by myself in the middle of the night. If just everyone could not be there, I think would feel nicest. Um, not what happened. <laughs> Started laboring in the morning. And um, this kind of went about my day you know, made the boys breakfast, made sure I ate, did a couple things like started herbs on the stove for myself and just a couple little bits that I knew I was going to want while birthing. Um, And then called their dad and was like, this is happening today. So you're going to have to be super available and around. Don't plan on going anywhere unless you're taking all the children. Um... And did get to a point where I was like, I can't actively parent three boys by myself anymore. I had been laboring while doing that for probably like six, eight hours. And I was like, I don't want to tell you guys anything anymore. I'm done giving directions. So you're going to leave with daddy and go have a really fun day. And I'll call you when I have a baby or when I want you to come here so I can have a baby. So they left and drove out. Mount Lemon, which is like an hour away and out of cell service and just left me alone, Um, which was ideal. (laughs) I remember uh, their dad, Aaron, was like, don't you want to be able to call me? And I was like, I don't. I just want you guys like really far away from me, actually. It'll be totally fine. It's like if there's actually an emergency, I'll call 911 or the neighbor. But like, I don't know. I don't need to be able to reach you. Just go do what you're doing. Um, you know, I was like, what I need is to know that the kids are safe and fed and having a good day so that I don't have to like be thinking about them at all. That's what I need. So go do whatever you want to do and they'll be happiest on the mountain. So have at it. So I was laboring with Liam and was doing the same softening as with Noah. Like that definitely was still working, still have almost all sensation in my back if I'm not consciously shifting forward and down and open. And there was a lot of really powerful lineage work for me this last year, year and a half, mostly because I've been untangling marriage. And I come from a long line of women who got married multiple times and had painful divorces and also really crappy marriages, honestly. Like were not well loved and supported by their men and held on anyway and then left in vicious ruptures that like harmed their children. That's what I've inherited. And my biggest fear of life has been to get divorced for those reasons. I don't want to repeat it. I don't like it's, you know, it's looking at my mother and my grandmother and being like, I want nothing to do with what you guys do. And yet arriving to this place this last year when I was carrying Liam, where I was like, you know, I'll teach other women that there's along with generational trauma, there's generational gift and there's generational strength and there's generational blessing. And yet I remember looking back and being like, I don't know what you guys handed me except for crap. (laughs) 
Like, I can teach this to everyone else, but I straight up cannot identify a single thing that you guys have handed me that I wish I was holding. I do not know where your blessings are. I'd like to believe they're there, but if someone could tell me where to look, that would be ideal. And that was very much the problem. So Liam was like, okay, (laughs) since you're asking. So in his birth, there is this space that opened. And while I've always felt very close to my maternal lineage, honestly, I want to distance myself from them and their pain and their hurt and their trauma and their decisions and their wounds and the way that they've projected it onto men and themselves and their children. I have always felt incredibly connected to my paternal grandmother, who I've never met but have been in relationship with my whole life. And there is a moment where I knew she was there and I could feel her and I could hear her. And with her was my entire maternal line. Was my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother and my grandmother before her and my grandmother before her, whose name I don't know, but whose I could feel and knew exactly who she was. And it was this immediate knowing that my grandma Lucy that I had admired and known for ever had come with them because I would only receive them through her because I already trusted her. And I was consumed with generational strength and generational blessing and generational presence. And immediately, immediately could see that all that it was entangled with the trauma and the hurt and the fear. And as I was pushing back against all of that, I was pushing those blessings away from myself in my attempt to not receive their pain, I wouldn't allow myself to receive them. So of course I didn't get any of the good bits. And I was just speaking with them and crying and laboring and feeling my baby and their place and my place beside these women in a way that I've never let myself touch before. And then had, as a result, you know, carried this story of abandonment and isolation and painful independence. And knowing that that's what these women had carried, painful independence. And if I actually want to soften that hurt for me and for them, it meant receiving all of it without judgment and without saying, I want to pick and choose which things I get. I want to pick and choose which pieces of you I'm a part of. And instead allowing myself to be like, I'm a part of them. I'm a part of this. All of it belongs to me, even if none of it comes from me. And that felt really good, really enjoyable. And I could tell I was getting closer to baby and had Aaron and the boys come home and prepped them and prepped him like, there's really big things moving. This is what they're walking into. This is what the house might feel like. Remind them, because they might not remember Noah's birth. Remind them what the house feels like when a woman is birthing. And they came in with all these little wildflowers that they had picked to offer to me and to baby. And just kind of went in the backyard to play. We're getting close to bedtime and to dinner. Aaron fed them. 
I felt so close, but it also was like taking, like I had felt so close for so long that there was this temptation to be like, well, let's just keep the boys up because the baby's going to come out any minute. And then I was like, just put them to sleep. Like, I just, never mind. So they went to bed and Aaron was with me and doing counter pressure and, and just being available for that really was all he was. It helps a lot. <laughs> didn't help beyond that, but he helps a lot there. Um, I ended up moving to the bathroom leaning against the same stool that I was pushing on when I had Noah. <laughs> and it was so, it got to a point where it was so, so painful and not in this like powerful way, but I was just like, I hate what is happening and I want to be done so bad. And I am like angry that I am here doing this still. I am so done. I am so done. And with Noah, the place where I was like, you know, the point from when I was like, I need to be done. This is insane. To baby was like 15, 20 minutes, if that. With Liam, it was well over three hours of just undoing and purging rage and frustration and and like stubbornness really too it was like no I don't consent to this stop right which is very much like what needed to be purged from my line was all these women who didn't know how to say no was all these women who were angry and bitter and resentful and held it within themselves instead of directing it towards the men that hurt them or just letting it go, right? Saying no. You want to look at men hurting you, but it's you hurting you by choosing to show up to him again and again and again and again. Making it your problem and your children's problem and my problem that you weren't willing to love yourself enough to set boundaries the sense of injustice and rage that went along with that came out. And at the time, I hated feeling it. I was like, I don't want to feel angry when I'm having my baby. I don't want to feel angry at my baby for being born right now. Like, I'm judging myself for all of these feelings. And, and I just want to be done. He eventually was born. And... You know, it same same thing, like a few fetal ejection reflexes, like all in all was like not a difficult emergence. When he came out, I discovered his cord was so short. I have never seen a cord so short. I couldn't even pull him up to my chest. His cord was so short. I could only get him to like my belly button. And so I immediately... Uh, wanted to birth my placenta so I could pick up my baby. Um, so I ended up laying him on the ground on towels beside me because I couldn't pick him up and kneeling over him and envisioning my placenta and really consciously letting my body release it, but also speaking to it. Like, thank you for guiding over, guarding him. Thank you for guiding him. I assume responsibility for him now. I will guide him. I will guard him. Your job is done. We are grateful. 
I need you to let go because it's time for me to pick him up and be his mother. It's time for me to do this work. And it just plopped out immediately. And I was able to pick him up and snuggle him and kiss him and love him. But also was kind of dazed, honestly. And he was angry. He was angry. He's my only baby that came out and cried. He's my only baby that came out and cried and not, and just like had stuff to say. Like I was crying, but not happy tears. I was like, yeah, buddy, that was horrible. (laughs) I'm sorry that we did that. I, that, yeah. I'm also mad still about what just happened. I'm also sad about what just happened. Um, And it's over, but I hear you that you have things to say about it. I'm going to call someone and have some things to say about it too. Because I just didn't like it. Like it just, it was just pain. It was just purging pain and anger. And he, you know, settled in a handful of minutes and we ended up getting tucked into bed and, you know, it's not indicative of him at all as a person. He is the most joyful person you could ever imagine. He is sleeping or smiling. He is euphorically happy at all times. He, he literally wakes up and just starts giggling in glee because he's just like, I'm alive still. He's so happy. And yet, and so I think it could like only be him that was like bright enough and jovial enough to move through rage without attaching to it, to move through pain without taking it on. I had moved through it through my mother and I accepted it and I owned it and I claimed it and I held it within me for 28 years. Yeah. And Liam came and guided us through we're going to go look at it and we're going to move through it, but it's not ours. And at no point are we going to pretend that it is. And I needed it so much. And I still have holding patterns in my body and in my nervous system of like <laughs> resentment or anger or, you know, that's still my work that comes up. But it doesn't live in me the way that it did. And I don't feel isolated the way that I felt my whole life I was able to feel securely attached to something beyond myself and now I can dissolve a marriage peacefully because I'm safe to do so and I I don't anymore pretend that that hurts me or hurts my children or hurts my ex-husband there's no pretending that it's the same thing that my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother went through. It's not painful. It's not abandonment. It's not rupture. It's security. But I had to, I had to like go through all the crap (laughs) to, to get to a place where I, yeah, I can attach to so much more than my own identity as a wife, right? That's not my safety. That's not my safety. And I sought it for years, but I found it with Liam and it was painful and it hurt. And even the week after 
I remember saying to Hannah Tovar, who came over to my house, I was like, I kind of feel traumatized by my birth, but nothing traumatic was done to me. And I'm just not sure what to make of that yet. And now I can look and be like, yeah, it felt traumatizing because I went and I visited generations of trauma and it didn't belong to me, but I felt, I felt the like shockwaves of it for, for probably a week and a half after. I don't feel any of it now. He doesn't feel any of it at all. Which I was worried about at first, honestly. I was like, I don't like that I'm birthing a baby in anger. But it wasn't in anger, it was through it. Yeah, I love that distinction. Because that could be, you know, shame guilt my baby's being born in this way but that's another like lesson of trust you guys moved generational shit together yeah Yeah, and the trust that he chose that as much too yeah like he knew the work that he came here to do he did he doesn't feel bad about it i don't need to feel bad for him i don't need to pathologize his birth for him he orchestrated it yeah if I were to pathologize his experience, I would be expressing distrust in him. Yep. And I just, I can't, my like guiding thing in life and certainly motherhood is like, I trust you and what you're doing here. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was really powerful. Um, I cried a lot. <laughs> you couldn't hear me, but that was a lot of cries for me. Is there anything else that you want to speak to? about birth, about breastfeeding, about postpartum before we wrap this up? Anything on your heart? I think be available to it has been like just the lesson again and again and again. And it always is. Be available to it. And however it looks, however birth arrives to you, however postpartum finds you, whatever motherhood wants to reveal to you. It's going to be yours. It belongs to you. It's for you. It's not happening to you. It's orchestrated for you. And your only work, it's not to control it. It's just to become available to it. Again and again and again and again. (laughs) In perpetuity for the rest of your life. But it's the good stuff. It's the good stuff. Your baby is coming to gift you life. Gratefully receive it. Don't judge how it comes. Don't stop yourself from having it. Trust. Your baby is like an agent of God. Trust it. Only a human mind could sit here saying, no, don't trust an agent of God. I know. I know. (laughs) And it'll try to. There will be times yeah. where your brain in its human understanding will be like, mm, that looks like I don't want it. Yeah. You do. Yeah. You do. You need it. And once you have it, you'll look back and be like, oh, I'm so grateful. You don't have to want something to receive it or to benefit from it. A lot of the gifts don't come in pretty packaging. They're just as good. Yeah, and a child is always an agent of God every day for years and years of their whole life. Everything they bring to you in any package is for you, the parent. 
Tschüss.